everyone, and welcome back to the Northeast Georgia History Center's podcast. Then again, I am Marie Bartlett. I'm Glenn Kyle. And today we are going to talk about some of our other favorite museums besides the Northeast Georgia History Center, because well, obviously it, that's the that's, best. That's the best one, probably. Of course, and you should visit us if you haven't. But first, or if you have, come again. Come back. We have changing exhibits and so many fun <laughs> special events. It's great. So, of course, first off, what is a museum? We have to define our terms as good historians, as you have taught me to do. Yes. You must define your terms <laughs> when, when having a discussion such as this. So we have to define what a museum is. And for our purposes, it's a building that has old stuff in it. Right. So for the purposes yes. of this list, it is a historical museum discussing the past, items from the past, or events from the past. Yes. Yes. That's No, yes. that's good. Because, okay. again, we don't want... Who cares about art museums, everyone? <laughs> yeah, and you know, in a in a museum usually has objects from the past. It's not necessarily a just a place that tells a narrative. Mm -hmm. uh, but this does discount historic sites, which we've already talked about. Now there are some historic sites that gather buildings and you could call those really large objects that they have in an outside museum. Right. But these these are things in a in a we're getting too into the weeds, aren't we? A little bit. We're just going to talk about our favorite <laughs> history museums, folks, and you can come along with us and decide what that definition is. Yes. But since you started us off, I'm going to let Marie go first and see what one of her favorite museums is. Yes, yeah, so one of my favorite museums that I have gone to is the Smithsonian National Museum of American History because it is so big. It has so many amazing priceless items that all directly reflect to America's past. They have some really cool exhibits. One of my favorites, of course, is all of the gowns that the First Ladies have worn to the inauguration balls. I think that's a really cool exhibit. And there's just so much American history that is like, oh my gosh, like this is real. I'm standing in front of it. I can't believe that this is Clara Barton's wagon that she took to Antietam. Like how is this? It feels like it brings some of those like mythological almost stories of American history to life and grounds them in the present with those objects. And it, and like you say, the, that's the beauty of a museum, right? They mm -hmm. use objects so it has the power of the object. So mm -hmm. going to, you're right, going to the Smithsonian, it's almost surreal. Yes. Because you're like, there is that thing. There is the compass William Clark used on the Lewis and Clark expedition. There's Abraham Lincoln's pocket knife there's all the yeah all the things you're looking at the actual objects and it blows your mind it yes. doesn't seem real exactly it's just i have learned about all of these things and oh my gosh this thing exists through time it is you know something that this person has touched and it still exists and it's part of me is like oh my gosh is this is this the real one <laughs> right this are we sure this can't be real yeah i'm like is this a reproduction <laughs> but no it's it's the real thing it's so cool so you know, and one of the one of my favorite places, I have been to that one. And that's that one didn't make my list, but it probably should have because it is amazing. And I mean it's it's the nation's attic, right? Yeah. And because they have so many other things in storage, as that important live true to life documentary, mm -hmm. now that the museum has taught us, they have lots of things down in storage that, that can come to life with a proper <laughs> Egyptian tablet. But um, you know, one of I'm gonna jump across the Atlantic now. Uh, and this one will probably come as no surprise to, to our regular listeners. One of the ones that I found most fascinating was the Royal Armories when we went to England that time. We got to see the smaller, quote, smaller Royal Armories at the Tower of London in London, but we also got to go up to the new one, quote, I say new, it's been open about 20 years, in York. And that was something, that was one of the main reasons we had wanted to go over anyway, because 
they have, you know, armor and swords from all of, of England and, and Great Britain's history, including the big elephant armor and things like that. And once again, seeing the things that you've read about, learned about, standing there in front of them. But here's the interesting thing is it's so it's, it's not just the stuff. And most of, I'm sure this is the case with most of these. It's not just the stuff. It's the way the stuff is presented. And I had gone with a really close friend of mine, and we had brought our wives. The original plan was that they were going to drop us off, me and Jesse, off at the Royal Armories, and they were going to go look at other things in York and pick us up at the end of the day. And then they came in, and they're like, well, we'll just run through real quick, you know, and we'll just, they, of their own free will and volition, ended up staying all day. They skipped their whatever they were going to do, and they were just as excited about these, you know, the, the armor, the swords, the different weapons. You know, they've got Henry VIII's armor. They've got the armor from the Elizabethan period. And it was it was well presented. And there at the Royal Armories in York, they also have an outdoor area where they had people. This is what we do at the Northeast Georgia History Center, folks. They had costumed interpreters on horseback showing how these weapons would have actually been used. There, you know, here is a longbow. And here, one of the most interesting things is a lot of the English are surprisingly fascinated with the American Civil War. And so one of the presentations was a fellow, a Brit, who does their interpretation there, portraying one of Jeb Stewart's cavalrymen from the Army of Northern Virginia. And he spoke, his accent for the South was exactly like this. And we had talked to him before, and they recognized that we were not from England, that we had our Southern accent, and he exuded his nervousness about pretending to be Southern in front of actual Southern, <laughs> in front of actual Southern people. Uh, but he was very nice, and, and we were very nice. But the whole thing, he was, he was decked out, as you would imagine, the full cavalier of Southern Confederate honor, rolling across the hills to fight the invading Yankees, and, and it was all the things. But it was a great experience all around, and it was everything I hoped it would be. Royal Armories, folks. If you get there, go there. That sounds amazing. <laughs> One of my favorite things, this is my, a little bit of a segue, but there are so many Civil War reenactors all around the world, not just in America. Yeah. But like Europe. Germany. Germany. It's big in Germany. It's yes. big in Australia. Yeah. I was like, don't you have your own history to reenact? But no, they want to reenact our Civil War. It's just a fascinating thing. It is. And, it, and I think it, you know, it, it helps us place that in context because it is an event that, while obviously formative for the United States, has drawn a lot of attention from, from outside the United States for a lot of different reasons. Also, you brought up a fantastic point about it's the way the stuff is put out, which segues into a little bit of a mu history of museums moment because it used to be, you know, you just shove everything in a room and then... You have a bunch of old stuff in a room, and that's great, and that's a museum. Right. The Cabinet of Curiosities. Yes. Yes. You know, and then when your cabinet gets full, then it kind of overflows into the room, and then it just takes over more and more until you actually have to have, like, a whole museum. Right. A whole building set aside just for this stuff. But often not contextualized in any way. No. It, fossils. You, <laughs> One cabinet says fossils, and there's just a cabinet of fossils. And then you just kind of have to guess and look, and it's it's curious. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, you, you have to, you know, use your curiosity to figure out what it is. But as the profession and disciplinary discipline of museums has gone, we now write text panels and we define what it is and the time period that it's from. And we place those objects together like with other things that might have gone with it, which they kind of did a little bit in the yeah, early days of, of museums, but, yeah. but not, not, not like to the now. same. Yeah. It's a more, as you say, it's a more refined process. Yes. 
One of my favorite museums that I have recently visited just a couple summers ago is the Genesee uh, Country Village and Museum. So it has a village attached to it, which was really great. But I also really liked the the quote-unquote museum part of it, which is the one building that has the galleries in it. And it had probably one of my favorite one of my favorite exhibits that I've gotten to see recently, and it was called The Great American Wedding. And mm. it was right as I was planning my wedding, so I was just <laughs> like, this is... This is perfect for me. And you wrote it off as a research trip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wedding research, if yes. you will. But it had all of this wonderful early 1800s to about late 1800s formation of what is an American wedding? And it had clothes and accessories and a recipe for cake, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, and like you could take a recipe with you, which I thought was kind of a fun try to make an exhibit interactive. You know, without really having like buttons to push or videos. It was just like, here, you read about this recipe. Now go try it at your own home. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit of it. But yeah, and then they just also had a lot of really great stuff that basically things that didn't fit within the houses that they already had, just kind of contextualizing New York. And then there was another one about like nature that was within the changing galleries that they had. It was just really interesting to, I, I just really liked the the one about weddings and marriage and also as it focused on the 1800s, African-Americans who had been enslaved, who then were freed and how, what marriage meant to them because they could not legally be married in an enslaved state. They could socially be married, but not legally. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to see how important marriage was to them after the war and how important getting married and the wedding was to them as well was really interesting to see but yeah just I really enjoyed just getting to see all of the the grandeur and splendor of and the making of the American wedding and Queen Victoria's influence on the how ladies wore white and you know what the bridesmaids were going to wear and you know wedding gifts what was a popular wedding gift like you know do you want a couple pounds of flour no one gave me right. that but it would have been a very <laughs> right. practical gift right. oh so I've I've got one too and I'm going I'm going to cheat a little bit mm-hmm. Uh, because you said it had to be inside a building. <laughs> and this isn't a building, and these are objects and cases. But one of the ones that I enjoyed was down in Savannah. At a, yes, it's a fort, ladies and gentlemen, so sue me. But it's Fort Screven, which is a, uh, a coastal defense fort, but it was built around the 1880s and 1890s, which is an interesting time period. It was originally built to have very big, like, 10, 12-inch guns emplaced, but those none of those are there now because they all were pulled out for scrap or whatever. But this was a fort that was built around the time of the Spanish-American War. And it continued to be used up through World War One, and was even sort of kind of manned in World War II. What's neat about it, though, is that, you know, being a coastal fort and having these gun emplacements, there's the gun emplacements on top, but underneath there are all the former, you know, crew barracks and ammunition magazines and things like that, which if you go to, they have actually put exhibits in. And so this, you know, this museum is is one of those things where it's the actual real historic thing also serves as the museum, which is very easy to contextualize because you're standing in amongst all this. And so it talks about one of the great things about it. So it's within that actual object, if you will, the larger object of the fort, but it also contextualizes not just the history of the fort, but coastal fortification. And it tells a little bit about all of Savannah coastal fortification history. And it says, well, here's how you build something this big. And here's what they were thinking. And here's the way the men lived. And actually, here's a cruise 
you know, a cruise barracks in this area where the barracks were and it's all set up and you can go in and kind of realize, wow, this is really cold and damp. Even in the middle of summer, this would have been miserable to, to try to sleep and live in. And here are the doctors, here are the medical practices, and it's all just right there in the fort. And they have, now, one of the interesting things, and, and Marie, I'm sure you've experienced this, being in museums means that it's very difficult for us to go to a museum and detach ourselves and just enjoy it. We can't do that anymore. <laughs> so It we... <laughs> gets difficult, and it's also difficult for the people we go with. Yes, bless their, <laughs> yes, bless their hearts. But we're not just looking at exhibits. It's We're looking at, okay, so this is a gigantic concrete underground bunker. This must be a humidity control nightmare for the objects. Well, how do they deal with that? And I'm looking at the different, you know, the dehumidifiers that they have carefully, cleverly tucked away behind a case or a this or that or something and watching how they've done all that and, and how the lighting works and how crowd flow can work through these areas that were never meant to hold groups of 20 or 30 people coming through at once, right? They're a lot of the passages are very narrow and, and you're bumping up again. I don't know what they did in COVID. They probably shut down. But it's really interesting, not just from the story perspective, but as a museum person to go in and see how some of these other places have dealt with the challenges of siding a museum and something as exciting as an actual historic house or fort or what have you. But they're also having to deal with the ramifications of that and still preserve the site. And it's a really interesting take. So Folks, you can note when you go visit museums, take notice of that, but don't let it spoil the fun for you the way it has for us. We still get the story. You should still enjoy it. Yes. Please, please don't, please don't look at every little thing. Yes. Just, you know, just try to turn that part of your brain off. Right. But just also think about, it's just sometimes fascinating to think about, oh, so how did they decide to design this? You know, it's kind of fun. But then just don't think past that. Right. <laughs> One of this one's a fun one because this is one that I remember being fun, a fun museum. I was in fourth grade and my mom and grandma took me out to Oregon to, to go visit all of our relatives out there. But, but you didn't die of dysentery on the way, did you? I did not. Yay. I know we made it. We did take a plane <laughs> and not a wagon, but we did go to the end of the Oregon Trail Interpretive and Visitor Information Ooh, Center. Fun. Yes. And it. They used to have, my mom said, I guess, when she was a kid, it has like a giant, it's, it looks like a giant covered wagon. But they took like the canvas off, so now it just has like the loops yeah. just over it, which I was like, oh, I want to see the canvas on it. That'd be so cool, but I don't I don't think they do it anymore. Probably too expensive. Yeah, probably <laughs> is. That's a lot of canvas. So much canvas. But I remember going, and I remember how there were fun, interactive things for me as a fourth grader to do. They had like a base of a wagon. And then they had a bunch of boxes and bags and chests and trunks. And you had to, like, pack the wagon. That's neat. It was pretty cool. And yeah. I remember trying to, like, you know, fit everything in there and then having to be like, ah, well, I, I already got my two chests of clothes. But, you know, should I take the flour and the sugar <laughs> with me? Or am I going to buy some along the way? <laughs> so that was very impactful. Like, I remember that. Um, they also had, like, a try-on, like, dress-up station, which I always love. Sure. Still do. Everyone loves those. But, yes, I'm sure they're yeah. especially special for Marie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember there being, like, a cool video and just, like, the way – I felt transported. It wasn't just a gallery with, like, glass and a thing. It was – they tried to make it an experience. And to the point where I still remember it years and years and years later of being like, oh, yeah, that was fun. I liked going there. Yeah, that – yeah, see, that can be really cool, too, because because it's very interactive. Yes. Right? Very interactive. And that was, I was, this, 
here's another museum. We went to, and I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't really consider that it was a museum. We were, uh, Chris and I were on a trip up to Pigeon Forge in the Smoky Mountains. And if any of you are familiar with Pigeon Forge, it can be a little tourist trappy. There's lots of weird, odd things to see in, in Pigeon Forge. But there, as you drive through Pigeon Forge, there is a great big scale model of the Titanic. Have you you've, you've seen this? Yes. Have you been in it? I have not. I've okay, wanted so to. You're I going, want to go. After I tell you the story, you're going to want to see it. <laughs> so Pris is like, oh, let's go see that. It'll be just like we're on the Titanic. And I'm like, this is going to be one of those basically glorified theme park rides to go see the ship. But yes, sure, we'll do this. And, you know, we go in and we pay, at the time, it was like $30 a person. It's like, man, this had, this had better be some kind of super cool ride that we're going on. And I was, I did not have high hopes. <laughs> but as we go in, you know, the, the people who are going to start guiding you through, they've got on polyester costumes that zip up the back. And I'm like, aha, I knew it. I knew it. This isn't a real, this isn't real. And so we go in, and very slowly, it begins to dawn on me that this could be one of, if not the coolest museums I've ever been in. Because, skipping to the end, it combines experience, it combines costume interpretation, it combines amazing objects perfectly contextualized about the Titanic, the Titanic tragedy of 1912. So you go in, and you go into a mocked-up design shop of the shipyards with actual original drawings that naval architects did for the Titanic. That's cool. You can go over and you get to pick up a weighted shovel to see how much a shovel full of coal was and pull it from over here and throw it into the fire and it roars and makes a sound. I'm like, well, that's, that's cool, but there's still no objects. And then you start walking through and you walk through, basically you start at the bottom of the ship. So you're in steerage, and they show you the third class and the second class and the first class things. And it's uh, perfect replicas of life on the ship. Perfect. Still no objects yet other than those drawings. Which you could get those anywhere, he thought. Um, <laughs> then, as you're going from second to first class floor, there's a little stairway at the end of the hallway. And there's a piece of plexiglass over it. And you're like, well, I guess they just that's a really tacky way for you not to be able to go up a stairway. And when you get up to it, the lights start flickering. And then water starts pouring down the stairway like it's flooding, like the ship is sinking. It is a super cool effect. And then it fills up to like halfway into the stairwell, and then it drains. And then it waits for someone else to come down the hallway. And it's like, okay, that's cool. That's a cool effect. And then you go up, and then you the grand staircase that's in the movie, they have that totally replicated and you can go all in there. And then you go into a gallery that has a ton of objects. Turns out that this and a couple of other places in the country are from Titanic Incorporated, which was the Rod- Robert Ballard expedition to find the Titanic. And it's funded by that group that now owns all the stuff that he brought up. Mm. And so they have, you know, what was her name? Mary Astor, who was on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her life jacket is in this exhibit. One of the plates that went on one of the few lifeboats that made it out that says HMS Titanic in this museum. The One of the purser's keys that was taken up off the, the bottom of the ocean floor is on display. All this amazing oh. stuff is on display. And there's tons of interactive. There's a, you know, here's 
Oh, and you go up onto the bridge. And you go up onto the bridge and you see this and you, there's an iceberg out on the, quote, deck of the ship and you stick your hand into this pool of water that's the exact temperature that the Atlantic was that night. And you're like, wow, we're all going to die. And <laughs> very quickly, of hypothermia. Very, of hypothermia. And it's just, it turns into what I thought was going to be hokey and gimmicky into one of the best historical experiences I have ever had. I know I keep going on about this, folks, but it's, the trick was the surprise, was the turn, was not expecting this at all. Walked out of there, went into a fantastic gift shop and spent way too much money and thought that was a that was $30 well spent. We're going to come back here the next time we come. Okay. Who knew, Marie, that the Titanic experience in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee is one of the best museums I've ever been in. Poof. I wouldn't expect it. You would think it would be some national gallery, yeah. some like really cool like state-funded something, but no, it's just yeah, there it's it was. half the Titanic. It's half, yes, <laughs> not the Titanic, but... But a bunch of stuff from the Titanic. It's amazing. That's cool. I want to go even more now. It's, and it's it's worth a trip. So yeah, you should y'all should check that out. Yeah, that'd be so cool. I'll have to go in costume. See what they say. Yeah, <laughs> make sure you don't have a zipper up the back. Oh, of course, of course not. <laughs> Hook and eye tape is my best friend. All right. So this next one is it, it's again it's a museum, but it's it says it's a visitor complex, if you will, and that is the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex. <sighs> okay, keep going. You. You might have stole one of mine. Oh, okay. But keep going. Keep going. (laughs) Because it's so cool. Like, it has (laughs) spaceships. Like, how amazing is that? It's also, I I went, I I think I was in middle school when I went to that one. And I also gone to the one in Huntsville. So I'm trying to separate them in my mind exactly what they had at which place. But of course, it's a a complex. So there's also outdoor parts. But it goes from building to building to building because there is just so much. And also, spaceships are large. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so you can only fit so many within a housed building and some of them have to stand outside but again a spaceships it's cool you know like they also have a lot of really awesome videos that they play with it and i mean the space race and our going to space is all in fairly recent history you know i mean in the grand scheme yeah absolutely it's pretty pretty recent so they have a lot of photos videos interviews all of that preserved so you can really see the video see the object see you know i can't think of any fantastic example of one but it makes it very integrated with the media the objects and the experience that you can have i also i remember very distinctly seeing like a moon like a like a buggy like a moon buggy yeah yeah the, the yeah and that was just i just thought that was really cool Yes. I, so if I stole one of yours, no, you know, well, do you want to, you, well, you've gone technically there? Technically you didn't because you said Kennedy, but I was going to say Huntsville. Oh, I've also been yeah. to that one. That, and one's that one's really good. That one, I went many moons ago when I was younger and took a ton of pictures, but I finally drug the family back this past summer because I haven't been since they built the huge new elongated room. Have you been since they, they've put this? So oh, no. there's a mock-up of a fully built Saturn V rocket outside. Mm-hmm. That was there the last time I was there. Gigantic. Now, however, they have an entire building. See, we're fitting within our rules, guys. Yes. Where they have an original, disassembled by stage, Saturn V rocket hanging horizontally in this place. I, I've been there when, yeah. And the it's only so the only cool. things that are not real are the command and uh, service modules on this, but they've got them mocked up. It's a real, it's one of the last ones they had left over moved it to Huntsville. So not only do they have this Saturn V rocket in its entirety for you to look at, but in this hall, they also have the entire history of spaceflight. They have, because we're, you know, our German scientists beat their 
They're a German scientist. They've got Von Braun's desk and some of his books. They've got an original V2 rocket, an original V2 engine, talking about how all that was developed, moving on into, you know, the, the space program. And ton, like you say, there's tons of objects. They have the backup suits for Grissom, Watt, and Chaffee, who were the astronauts on the Apollo on Apollo 1 with a fire and the disaster. So not the suits they were wearing at the time, obviously, but, but ones that they used. You know, they have Gemini capsules that they used to, to practice with. And you can see not just the history of manned spaceflight and the Apollo mission, and actually it brings you all the way up to, you know, the shuttle, which for some of you younger people, that was in the 1980s, by the way, uh, in the 90s. But it, you see the progression of the technology in real physical manifestations. You can see that a control panel for, you know, Mercury and Gemini was just a bunch of rough switches that looks like middle school kids made it in shop class, right? And you start getting into the late Gemini and Apollo programs and onto the space shuttle, it starts to look like what we think of as, quote, space controls. And it looks much more professional. They've got everything there. And it was just, I was just in awe when I walked into that place. We, we bless their hearts, we all spent about four to five hours in that hall. Wow. And the other ones even barely got bored. Nice. They had to drag me out, but they barely got bored. That's seen everything twice. Yeah. So, so yeah, Kennedy, Huntsville, they're both fantastic things to see. In fifth grade, my school took us all to space camp at the uh, Huntsville yes. one, and that was really fun. And we actually within the, it, it was in the museum, so it kind of counts. But we we got to do like the the moonwalk and like that spinny one where like you're they, you do you don't get dizzy. Oh yeah, the where you're being put through yes. three the three axes of motion. Yes. yes, yeah, we did that, and then we actually also got to you know do our own quote unquote like pretend mission, right? Uh, which was really fun. So, it's a good place. It's a lot of fun. I don't know if my last one actually counts because it is a his is a group of historic buildings. You know what? We're setting the rules so anything can count. Okay, They're, y'all are not going to stop listening at this point, right? Right. If you were like, oh, this one would have fit better with the Historic Site podcast, you're probably right. But when I was trying to think back and I was trying to think about one of the perhaps museums that was most impactful to me as a kid, like what made me want to go into history, what made me like really interested in this, was a museum that I've gone to like multiple times that, you know, I actually watched them like change exhibits or I watched them like put up things for Christmas and take it down, you know. Things like that or, or things that had special events that were really interesting where they did have those costume interpreters and whatnot. And that is the historic square at Stone Mountain, Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, where yes. they, they've moved a lot of houses from 1793 to 1875. And they have a large just collection of historic homes. They don't really have a museum that contextualizes it with exhibits. They just have like a tiny gift shop. So it doesn't it's not quite the same. But it's also not quite a house museum either because you go around yourself, but it's almost like the houses are the exhibits. Right. Because it's, you don't have a guided tour. There's just panels within the house and then the room is set up. So it, we could squeeze it in there, <laughs> kind of. You know, it has, it, has, it has the text panels, which is one of the, yeah, the hallmarks of a museum, right? right? But I just, I remember going there all the time as a kid because we had passes. We lived super close. So we would go, and every time we went, I wanted to drag everybody to the historic square. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Marie, it it's literally hasn't changed in 100 years. <laughs> and I'm like, but I want to see it again. 
and I loved walking through like the kitchen gardens and just seeing like what was growing and how that would have been used for the food. And sometimes they, every once in a while, it was it was really hit or miss for a while there, but sometimes they would have historic interpreters. And I always really liked talking specifically to the person in the cookhouse. That was the person that generally you could, you know, find somebody there. Right. That's yeah. where everyone was hanging out with because that's where the that's food where is. That's where the food is. It's so, a universal constant through human <laughs> history. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, and they had a petting zoo with like the goats and the sheep. It was just goats and sheep. And the goats would literally try to eat anything. But I remember there was like one day, it was like, near, it was always near Mother's Day. And that was sheep shearing day. Mm -hmm. And we, so we went to that one year. And I thought it was so cool because you had like this big fluffy sheep. And then like we watched it just become a smaller sheep. <laughs> and that was really cool. And then they were like, and then we're going to take the wool and we're going to do this kind of thing. We're going to weave it. And how cool is that? So it's not the best museum I've ever been to. Right. But it's probably one of the most impactful to me in my journey of, of loving history and kind of seeing how a museum works or in some cases doesn't. Right. Um, you know, to where I'm like, but, but I was still intrigued no matter what happened. I, I thought it was interesting. I wanted to learn more. And I got to see it kind of evolve as well since I've gotten to visit it so much. Do you have a museum like no, that? No, that's that's my last one mm -hmm. is the first museum I ever went to, mm -hmm. which I went with a Cub Scout group that my mom was den mother of. And Blue Ridge had no museums. We weren't that fancy. But just across the state line in Copper Hill, Tennessee, there was the Copper Hill Mining Museum that they had put up near one of the old mine shafts. And... This was back, oh my goodness, this was back in the mid-80s when we went. And, you know, to me at that time, it was as big and as cool and as professional as anything I had ever or probably would ever see. And it was because, like you're talking about, it's, it's sort of the same thing with the square at Stone Mountain. It, it has objects, but it also establishes that sense of place that is so important to to people everywhere and to, to our individual and, and group appreciations of history. History happens in places and we are connected to those places. And so up in that area, even in Blue Ridge, those copper mines that had been there for a hundred years and, and at that point had, you know, was an environmental disaster and it had chemically defaced the land and all the things, but it was, it was part of that culture. It was part of that society. It gave jobs to hundreds, thousands of people that otherwise would have lived in poverty. So all the things that happen and just, you know, seeing the objects and seeing the stories there and seeing all these pictures of these amazing men, all these miners and the equipment that they used and the things they did to provide for their families and knowing, not going to that museum, not only seeing a museum, not only going to a place that represented that kind of experience, but going to a museum that told the story of people I knew, people I was surrounded by, the place I had grown up was very, very impactful to me. And so, you know, I've only been back a couple of times since then. They're, they're still operating, but they're a very small museum. As you can imagine, they're still small. It's still mostly volunteer run. But I will always know and remember that as my first museum, my first experience. And in the back of my head, that one's always there. That's always or just for all the reasons that is was just a really neat experience. And you know, just by default has to be on my list of favorite museums. Absolutely. There's no museum like your first museum. There really isn't. There <laughs> really isn't. Well, I mean, I'm sure we could go on, but that's probably all the time we have to go on to these museums. Folks, uh, we would love to hear 
what your favorite museums are. Again, we know that your first and best favorite museum is the Northeast Georgia History Center, but still send us that anyway. We'd love to hear it. Uh, but tell us what your favorite museums have been and why. Don't just send us a list. Tell us why they, they meant something to you. Tell us why they had an impact on you. And of course, stop by and come visit the History Center and keep following us on on all the digital places and virtual worlds. There's so many more we could go into, but we won't. Because there's lots yes. of museums out there. So many museums. And <laughs> history keeps happening. More museums get, keep getting created. So, you know, we'll, we'll come back and maybe do a part two one day. But for now, that's, that's the favorite. For now, that's it. We're done, folks. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.